Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Super Producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Living good in the neighborhood. How about yourself? I'm good. I um, I realized, and in my naivete, I asked the question yesterday to a bunch of people online. I was wondering if we were still making bank robbers. It seems like a really hard thing to do in 2023. And I got reminded with the swiftness that we literally, this last football season, had a story about the Chiefs of Hall at Kansas City Chiefs fan reportedly robbing a bank on the way to the game. Okay, okay, okay. I got hung up on you saying make bank robbers. Um, but yeah, yes, didn't know if we were making bank robbers anymore. It's a hard no, thing I, to do. I understand. Shouts out to uh, somewhere beyond the pines. Um, and uh, Ryan Gosling, great movie about bank robbery. Um, but yeah, it seems like it'll be hard. Like cash is hard to get to your hands on. So you think it like the, the robbers are? Don't look at me like that. People don't hold cash. No, anymore. I believe. I believe okay. it. I'm, yes. I'm, oh, I'm I'm completely with you. I'm just saying the bank robbery is more uh, high tech. I imagine. I guess that's what I mean is it just feels so hard because there's cameras everywhere now and banks have been getting robbed for so long that you figured now the defense systems are pretty high. Like you said, I don't even know like if there's a banker out there, is there still tons of cash kept in vaults? I figured we had a better, more high tech way of doing these things now. I would love a nice tour of a bank, but I feel like if I ask for one, people would just think I'm a bank robber. (laughs) Well, that's and when I asked that question, I immediately realized I sounded like a huge narc. Like, hey, is anyone out there robbing banks that wants to tell me? <laughs> tell me about anyone, any bank robbers that are following me. Please hit my DMs. Um, <laughs> no, but but the I, I did read the news recently, Mike, and it had food in, in, uh, involved. So uh, inmates from Virginia snuck out of a prison using a toothbrush. And they were found because they headed to the nearest IHOP to eat. And that's where they were got, you know, somebody knocked on them and, and they, they were arrested at, at IHOP. So I hope they got a chance to finish their meal. But uh, people are doing old school crimes all the time. Oh, where I, uh, the Manhattan Beach Pier near where I live, I came back into town one weekend and saw videos circulating on social media of a smash and grab in the middle of the day at the jewelry store, right in the middle of the pier. And you could see, because again, there are cameras everywhere, multiple getaway cars running in a nearby alley that like eight guys ran into and drove off out of there. I never heard if they were apprehended, but it was in broad daylight. So again, it's happening at certain locations, obviously a jewelry store a little bit different than a bank, but in broad daylight in the middle of a very busy pier. Outside of outside of it being busy, Mike, and I know you hate when I do be L.A. Brandon, but 
It's a very hard location location to get out of. There's only like a couple of ex, uh, access points in and out of that place. Unless you're you're going the back way to LAX, you can go up the hill, but. <laughs> How did you become a Calif- the Californian sketch right before my eyes? This transformed so quick. I got to add this to the list. As we established yesterday, Brandon Newman is always going to be able to tell you Drake's involvement in something. Yes. If someone is from Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and also how you can get around in Los Angeles <laughs> most efficiently. Add all of those to the list uh, under the heading of, do they still make bank robbers? And the overwhelming answer I got was yes. Uh, so there are plenty of them still. Stay you should safe. stop doing that. Say, oh. No, don't do it anymore. <laughs> Wait, what the? Stay I, safe. What, what the? <laughs> Stay, Stay safe. To, <laughs> like, hey, They're doing bank crime. If anybody, bank, any bank robbers out there listening, you got friend here in Gojo. And then no, you, over you don't. Saying, you over here saying, stop it. You you do not have a friend here in Gojo. We are not a supportive podcast of bank robbers. They don't shoot a lot of people. They just take the money. Oh, my God. We got a great show for you guys today here. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel in a very crime-free space. That is the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Uh, Good friend of ours. Back for the first time in a while, Nora Princiati, writer and podcaster over at The Ringer, going to stop by. You can catch her on The Ringer NFL show. Every single album, Taylor Swift, Swift with Nathan Hubbard, her partner. Uh, She's going to help us on a couple of fronts here. We get to talk a little bit of NFL free agency with her as we've reached kind of the second, third stage of NFL free agency. We've gotten past most of the big marquee signings, some of the trades at the beginning, and we're waiting for the two big bombs to drop in Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. So we touch on a little bit of how free agency has unfolded the way it has. Nora has got a book that she is going to be authoring in the next couple of years that I'm very excited. We talked to her a little bit about the origins of that. Please don't stop the music. Brittany, Taylor, Rihanna, and the women who built pop's shiniest decade. And she gets me prepped for how to go to your first Taylor Swift concert since I'm going there Friday in Vegas. Mike, we're going to get to your weekend, which is jam-packed. But I was so thankful to meet Nora at the Super Bowl and we yes. were at the bar watching the LeBronness. Well, I guess I was watching LeBron, and I went went over and see what you was doing. And you guys were talking about the Rihanna halftime show, and and, and at a very deep conversation about what the first song was played. And I feel silly that I was throwing my opinions out there with such a a, a studied scholar on the topic. She's a pop wizard. It really is impressive to talk to Nora about this stuff. So great insight from her. Awesome stuff. Very well-rounded interview that we're looking forward to. Uh, but Brandon, before we get to that, the return finally happened last night in the NBA. John Morant was back with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, coming off the bench, something for the first time in his career that he did, something that apparently he suggested to the Memphis Grizzlies coaching staff. Uh, came off the bench, played about 24 minutes for the Memphis Grizzlies, and finished the game with 17 points, four rebounds, five assists, and two steals uh, in a 130-125 to win over the Rockets. So, Brandon, he was back on the court. We already saw a couple of highlight reel plays 
for him coming back. Uh, this is to help his conditioning. He was eligible to return after the NBA suspension on Monday, but they're trying to ramp him back up to form. It sounds like they're going to have him keep coming off the bench here for the next few games as they work him back into game condition because for them, it's all about the postseason and making sure now that he's back and available to them, Memphis sitting there relatively comfortably at the two seed. They're about two yeah. games ahead of the Sacramento Kings at the three seed. So it's really all about making sure Ja is in the best place physically and mentally going into the postseason since they are going to bring him back as quickly as they did. And what a warm-up game against the Houston Rockets, Mike. Like, it, Obviously, Ja Morant can do those highlight plays at any point in time, but seeing it against the Rockets, we're like, oh, this is actually a, a, probably a good warm-up from him, uh, for him. Yeah. It was a smart bit of scheduled maintenance, if you will, mm -hmm. coming back with this particular opponent in mind. We heard from John Morant in the lead up to this, and I thought it, it was interesting for a lot of people who saw videos circulating online of John Morant and, and, and you know alcohol and all of the things as a result of the conversations had after he spent time away from the team, was then suspended by the NBA for his conduct, for the alleged showing of the gun in the nightclub in Denver on Instagram Live. He talked with reporters on Tuesday and said, I don't have an alcohol problem. I never had an alcohol problem. Maintained that this was about him and his response to stress and the things that he is still actively trying to manage in his life. He said that from now on, he's going to use social media to talk about basketball and further branding, and he's going to be more responsible there. And so... Between this and the interview he did with Jalen Rose, Brandon, he's checking all the boxes of saying the right things. It's just going to be a wait and see now, but the one thing that we probably should have expected was the basketball part wasn't going to suffer all that much because yeah. this is one of the most talented young players in the NBA. And so if you're Memphis Grizzlies fans, I, I, I don't know how comfortable you feel at this point. Because you're sitting here on the precipice of if you were looking at this from a 30,000 foot view without this idea of John Morant and his future and his well-being, a tremendous opportunity in this year's Western Conference. We mentioned you're sitting comfortably at the two seed. The biggest threat to you and the rest of the West was that Phoenix Suns team that's now dealing with the remnants of Kevin Durant and the ankle injury from before his first home game with the Phoenix Suns. You had the Clippers lose a couple days ago to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Denver has been sliding a little bit post-All-Star break. So you are one of the teams positioned to do really well if you can hold this together. And right now, I don't know how that's an if you can feel certainly certain about, even if you are hopeful. And certainly that hope is grounded in wanting the best for Ja at the same time. Yeah, th this is a, a separate conversation, I feel like, when it comes to the superstars of the NBA and what they can do and how important they are leading into the postseason versus the seeding that will actually happen once everyone gets settled and the dust gets settled in the West. Because just like we're seeing in the tournaments and the women's bracket and the men's bracket, I feel like a lot of upsets can happen. I'm not maybe I'm just saying that because my Los Angeles Lakers are going to likely be a play in team. Uh, but the way they've been competing, the way everyone in the West has been competing, I don't know if it's going to be chalk. I mean, the fact that, and I think a lot of people looked at the Clippers. Now, Paul George going down with an injury the other night Sucks. against Oklahoma City is huge. It yeah. sounds like that's going to be something that they have to continue to evaluate. But that going down in a game where they already lost to an Oklahoma City team that's now firmly in the play and sitting at the eight seed at this point in time, you had a, one of my favorite nicknames that I was previously unaware of, the Dorcher Chamber, Lou Dort, going out there and putting the cuffs on Kawhi Leonard at the end Ooh, of that game. I like that. 
I like, I it was remember. remarkable. Like, well, and like, listen, I know Shea Gilders Alexander's sort of the the big sell for that team. You know, you and, went to Kentucky. Jesus Christ on ice. Did you? I, I SGA. Didn't. My God. He went for 31-7-4 and four, uh, in that game <laughs> against the Los Angeles Clippers. Who the Clippers were a team that a lot of people could have looked at and said, hey, you had the currency of what had been the trend in the NBA for so long to, you know, two guys that were good good to great wing defenders. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, his best days are behind him there. Paul George, certainly because of injury, probably in that same boat. And it was weird seeing Lou Dort do that to Kawhi Leonard because Lou Dort defended Kawhi Leonard to the point where he couldn't get a game-winning shot attempt off the way Kawhi Leonard used to do defend other people. It was a remarkable bit of like black, you know, like, I don't know if it was Black Mirror that would qualify. I never watched that show. Maybe a Twilight Zone thing, The Matrix, that might Mike. be it. You would love it, and I highly recommend. I know. I know people have, but like, and I know you're, yeah. yeah but like, you, yeah, you love it. Anyways, um, yeah, I heard some pundits. Is that what they're called? Uh, talking about how Kawhi Leonard isn't the same Kawhi Leonard of old, and I was waiting to see some evidence of that, and this was it for me. Like the 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 thought of the mm. claw getting clawed, and also like not being able to get off that last shot. It's just, I hate that he had to finish his career I'm not that I'm like writing him off completely but I wanted more for this Clippers run for him I think that's uh, as we look now and especially at this Paul George let me look up and see uh what the status of the Paul George injury is right now because Did I think that'll and I think that'll inform a lot of Oh, yeah, Paul. So it was kind of actually a similar evaluation to what happened after the LeBron James uh foot injury where it said that Paul George would be evaluated again in two to three weeks with a sprained knee. And that's unfortunately been the story of that Clippers team throughout this pairing is you've had one without the other. We had the postseason run for Paul George where a lot of people thought it was some of his best basketball without Kawhi Leonard knowing you were probably going to end up falling short of your goals, which they did. It's ultimately going to feel sell short. All that is to go back to the original point, Brandon, that there is a massive opportunity out in front of this Memphis Grizzlies team yes. if there truly has been change with Ja Morant. And if, in a two-week span, he was able to have enough of an aha moment, which we can all have our worries and concerns about, but if they can keep that together, and if now his support system around him redoubles their effort and his teammates and True. coaches are going to take his, take his lead on this, that you do have a tremendous basketball opportunity. It's just kind of an uncomfortable balancing act and talking about it because of all the stuff that we've been through with him. Unfortunately, I'm going to add fuel to that uncomfortable uh, conversation, Mike, because I feel like based on what I saw with Ja coming back, he could still be struggling with stuff and still be one of the best basketball players that we've ever seen this season uh, in, in the NBA, in the postseason, like he was last year. Like I, I, it's hard for me, maybe it's the youth, but it's hard for me to actually be worried with him out there because this is what he does when he hits the floor. 
I, I know, and I guess it's, the thing is, we are we're worried about what happens away from the floor because you're absolutely yeah. right. The basketball part's always been there, and even though the home road splits have been disparate for the Memphis Grizzlies for the course of this season, this has been an extremely good basketball team. They've been top three in the West damn near the entire year. So uh, we'll wait to see. But that was our first look at Ja again. Seventeen points in his return, coming off the bench, uh, which it sounds like will be his role for the next couple of games as he ramps back into game shape. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision and just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, uh, speaking of things that are decidedly not game shape, we've got pro day season Ooh. that we are now in the midst of. And it's such an interesting part of this draft cycle and any draft cycle where we've got as many compelling quarterback prospects as we do yeah. is everything else gets pushed to the side. We have very, very seldomly done looks on the national media level into a lot of the other positions in this draft. As we've talked about, incredibly deep tight end group, incredibly deep running back group, tons of talent in that group, really interesting offensive line group, on and on down the list that doesn't get any shine because you've got four quarterbacks that are probably going to be picked in the top six, seven picks of this draft, and they're all getting going with their pro day circuit, so the draft talk's going to start to ramp up again. C.J. Stroud had his pro day yesterday, at Ohio State, I believe Bryce Young at Alabama and Will Levis at Kentucky are both this week with Anthony Richardson at Florida coming up next week. And I, I, I hope and pray, pray, Brandon, because we went through what we did with Zach Wilson, most notably as one of those super freak pro day throws that went viral, <laughs> that we can get out of this without it. Like, we checked the first box. We went to CJ Stroud, Ohio State. You had him, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris mm -hmm. Johnson, all these great players that are first round caliber guys showing out at pro day and outside of some wonky O line drills that they made Paris Johnson do. We didn't have much of the viral stuff. It was C.J. Stroud going out there, and by all accounts from the people who were there and the few throws that I was able to see online, it was who he's been. Incredibly clean, a guy who operates the best that he does from the pocket and who can make every NFL throw for you. And that can be enough. Like Pro Day, Brandon, and you've been around, seen, experienced enough of these to know, 
you're just going there to, again, check the box of, did he take this part of the process seriously? Right, when we right. get him around, yes, how yes. does he interact with his teammates when he's around him there? Like, especially as the quarterback, you're sort of leading that drill. You've got all the skill guys that you're used to. They want to see you command your group with the guys you're comfortable with because while the combine's a good measuring stick, having you throw to receivers you haven't been a part of before, seeing you side-by-side side with these other prospects, eventually, and a big part of these too with the pro day, uh, is you getting a chance to meet and talk with team personnel again a little mm. bit more and sometimes getting a chance for them to sort of peek into your football acumen. Apparently, the Carolina Panthers, who have the number one overall pick, sent like 18 guys to Columbus, and they're going to make the rounds to these next few pro days. They've been very tight-lipped in Carolina, maintaining that they've got interest in a bunch of these guys, and they're still figuring it out. But they had apparently like a two-and-a-half-hour meeting with him, which included a long dinner in the lead-up to Pro Day. They plan on meeting with him again after Pro Day. And so this is the part now where, especially in the meetings on site, they can start to get you on the board a little bit. They can start to see how do you digest things. And part of that is seeing how you work with the group around you. Are you going out and having you know this process dialed up? Did you do your homework, basically? Yeah. This whole thing is just checking your homework at the end of class. Yeah, I was going to say it's as simple as did you get in your playbook? Like, are you ready for game day? Right? Because like, yeah. it, it, it's as simple as doing the drills in a specific way to get the best results, measurables, or X, Y, and Z. But there's a little attention to detail things that can show up in a three cone. Right? But what I think is most interesting is how large he is. Uh, talking about CJ Stroud. Like, I just, like, maybe it's the, I'm still thinking about Bryce Young uh, standing uh, next to Mina Kimes. Uh, but uh, I just, I just feel like I, I love the concept of Stroud being the number one pick, especially going to the Carolina Panthers, just because it, I, for me, it just seems like such a, I keep college and NFL so separate that it really is a mystery box. Pick. It's always a mixed mystery box. You're right. And it's been so interesting. You watch as you go through and you're trying to put all these guys, stack all these incredibly talented but different quarterbacks against each other. And one of the things that I've heard pop up for CJ is he was really the only one of these guys that was well protected for the entirety of the year. Mm. And so you see CJ making a lot of clean pocket throws, which as many people point out at the top of the draft, you're not often going to teams that are in a position to protect you. Now, Carolina might feel differently. They were able to retain their whole starting five on their offensive line. They've invested young picks like their top pick last year, Iki Aquanu out of yeah. NC State. And so maybe they feel a little bit better about that. But it's just fascinating that that would be a criticism. Like, oh, you played with other talented guys and didn't have to run for your life the entire time. We know mobility is not his strength, but... He's got enough of it, I think, to be probably the safest guy you could take at number one. So in in the way that that factors into the debate about what they're going to do with the pick. Not Anthony Richardson? Well, Anthony Richardson's not the safest. He's the one that's got the gifted upside, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's safer than he gets credit for, I will say. And I will continue to maintain that about Anthony Richardson. But I just what do you saw that face? Brian Hartline was the offensive coordinator and receivers coach at Ohio State. We're oh, old, yeah, he's... Mike. Oh, he, Brandon, he has been one of – so he's just starting as the offensive coordinator this year, but he's been one of the best receivers coaches and one of the best assistants in college football for a long time. This string, sort of like what Harry Heastand was, my former O-line coach at Notre Dame, yeah. pumping out consistent first-rounders during his tenure there with Brian Kelly in the 2010s yeah. and into that. Brian Hartline has 
absolutely been that for Ohio State. He has been so important and integral to the success of that program in a receiver room that's been first-round pick after first-round pick. Love to see it. Yeah, it's really it's really cool for him. He's done an unbelievable job there. So uh, maybe I'll exercise some restraint because to the point about checking off the boxes, this was also sort of some of the consternation. Remember at Georgia's Pro Day last week, we didn't really get to talk about Jalen yeah. Carter mm-hmm. at Georgia's Pro Day coming back after pleading um, no contest uh, to the reckless driving misdemeanors that he faced back in Georgia. Uh, I believe he got 12 months probation, has to take a driving course there. But beyond that, it, appear, it appears that right now that chapter has closed after the allegations that were levied his way when he was at the Combine. Okay. And then the story became at his pro day, showed up nine pounds heavier than the Combine, wasn't yeah. able to finish the D-line drills because he was cramping. And a lot of people... I didn't see too strong a reaction, which I think is the right way to look at this, Brandon. Like when you think about what he had been going through since the combine, the guy was implicated in a night that already has to be so difficult for every single Georgia player to still wrap their minds around where they lost people they cared about on that team. And so to then have these allegations, have that resurface, face very seriously the prospect of real trouble as a result of alleged actions that night and what may have come from that yeah it seems appropriate that his attention would have been elsewhere right and that he may not have walked into that day as ready as he could or should have been physically and part of i almost looked at that as all right like maybe yeah of course his mind wasn't totally on football in the lead up you can debate whether his camp should have allowed him to go out there and perform at pro day you know cj stroud didn't run the 40 at his pro day for example you can still dictate some of the terms and if you're a player as talented as jalen carter you might have been able to get away with say going there and saying hey i'll meet with teams but i've had a lot on my plate recently with listen I don't want to make it sound like we're just doing the, you know, off the field issues. These were allegations based on his yes. alleged own actions. Yes. And I don't want to dismiss the sincerity of that. Of course. But it is to say all of that was markedly more important in making sure he was honest, forthright, dealing with that process with the severity that it deserved instead of worrying about running the right D-line drills at his pro day. And so I was sort of relieved. We saw a little bit of the reaction. Of course, the talk shows were going to spin that for a day, but I haven't seen a ton on that in the fallout because if you're grading things and you're a team looking into it, making sure you understand and have a clear picture of what went on in that situation as clear as you're going to get to me, is more important than whatever you were to glean from Pro Day. You know what Jalen Carter is physically as a player. You right. saw it all year long. He is the most talented defensive player in this draft. I should say, shouldn't say talented. He's the best defensive player in this draft. If you're just looking at who is the best at what they do on the football field, I believe he is clearly the best at what he does in this draft. It's now just a complicated matter because of everything else there. So kind of just to bring it all back, it's keeping the right frame of mind around pro day and what's actually important in these settings as we get set to embark on this with the quarterbacks now that started with CJ. Yeah, it's a very nuanced day for everyone involved. And that's why I think right. that I'm, I'm very happy that his team encouraged him to perform because I think everyone knowing, like his name was everywhere, Mike, for all the wrong reasons. And for him to go out there and just show where he's at physically with all of that, I think it would have been a bigger red flag if he set out. Because when you're in the NFL, when you're playing, things are going to happen to you in your life. Obviously, not nothing this big 
hopefully moving forward. But like you're dealing with real life things and it does affect your play. But they want is getting a chance to see these measurables of, you know, him him not being 100 percent, which everyone already knew. Like, OK, let's see what Jalen Carter looks like at 80 percent. Yeah, I, I still think he probably would have been better served sitting out. I, really? I think with a player of his caliber, there would just wasn't a lot to be gained there. But at the same time, because of all that, I still don't think there was going to be a lot to be lost. If you're going to downgrade Jalen Carter, I'd imagine now it's going to be because of the things that popped up off the field and the information that you and your team gather about that process as you look into that player. So uh, this is the season that we're in right now. Draft is readily approaching. Hopefully soon we'll have some announcements about some stuff that we're going to be doing around the NFL draft, some content that we're going to be able to bring your guys way that we're very much looking forward to but in the meantime we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk to our friend Nora Princiati about the NFL free agency the NFL offseason and Taylor Swift without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, very excited to welcome back our good friend, Nora Princiati. You guys know her, uh, writer, podcaster over at The Ringer. You can check her out on The Ringer NFL Show and every single album, Taylor Swift with uh, Nathan Hubbard as well. And about to be author, Nora, how are you? Oh boy, I'm great. About to be is a stretch because I still have to write the thing, but you know, coming to, coming to book, bookshelves in 2024, 2025, we'll see. There we go. And I want to talk a lot about that. Very excited. It's going to seamlessly fit into the Taylor Swift conversation I want to have with you as someone that's getting set to go to his first Taylor Swift concert. You are the expert. And so I'm going to lean heavy on that with you here. But I I was curious just because I was listening to uh, you and Steven Ruiz on the Ringer NFL show. And you guys brought up an interesting point as we sit here right now about what this NFL free agency had been like so far this off season. And I know Steven's word was mid. It's been a largely in his view, <laughs> lackluster NFL free agency. First off, did you agree with that? Did you agree that it kind of felt like mid, a little bit diet free agency? First of all, good to know that episode posted. Like shouts <laughs> to Stefan Anderson who produces our stuff. We taped that like three hours ago. Um, yeah, I guess it's been pretty mid-washed, one could say. Like, the, the trade stuff is where the real excitement is. But you know what? Like, there's there's still stuff happening. I am I, a follower of Jimmy Garoppolo's career. That's an interesting one. I like what the Dolphins have been up to. The Cowboys are having a pretty good free agency. Like, let's, you know, there's joy to find in even the most mid-free agent period. Well, my contention is I don't know if this free agency period has been as much mid as it is the phenomenon that happens when quarterbacks are in the news cycle because this happens in the NFL draft. Totally. Where 
when we've got quarterbacks to talk about, we neglect the rest of the position groups the same way in free agency. I think Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers have sucked the oxygen out of the room. I think to me, that's much more of what's happened because we're all waiting for those big dominoes to drop when we've had a bunch of really good roster fleshing out going on for the rest of the NFL. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's totally right because it just, it, it gets hard to focus on anything, especially when it's, it's not just quarterbacks, but it's dramatic quarterbacks. Like it's this, the weird thing with Lamar and the Ravens is juicy and confusing and strange in all sorts of ways. I mean, we had a quarterback go in a darkness retreat and contemplate retirement. Like I, I don't really know how anything is supposed to get a lot of buzz when it's competing with that. Um, Steven, uh, my, my glorious co-host, did put together a list that I thought was pretty compelling comparing free agent movement to trade movement. And it wasn't just this year. It was going back a few few years. And it does kind of, you know, he so in the free agents, he had Tom Brady, Von Miller, Javon Hargrave, Jesse Bates, Mike McGlinchey, Christian Kirk. Like, it doesn't take long before you go, oh, yeah, there aren't that many huge splashy free agent moves and then you compare it to the biggest trades over the last few years and and you're talking about Ramsey, Hopkins, DeForest Buckner, Trent Williams, Matthew Stafford, Stephon Gilmore, Von Miller, like blah, 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 blah. Russell Wilson, like Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill. Free agency is not where the biggest, the, the most splashy, exciting things happen anymore, but we don't need to insult it on those grounds. Like it's okay to, it's okay if it's a little mid. It's still important. It can be important and mid at the same time. I think bringing up that point about the trades is a reminder of where to point our ire if we do believe that free agency is mid. It's because like we saw when Demora Smith posted that letter the other day criticizing the way that things like the draft and the franchise tag have gone out and become suppressors of the market – Those tools are the reason that we don't have compelling free agency because when it comes to the best players, you're either going to get them signed to long-term deals while they're there or you've got all these tools like the tag that sort of make it a conversation we don't ever get to have. That's why the Lamar thing has been so strange because it is pseudo-free agency. And even with that, because of how that tag works, we're not getting to fully explore it. I mean, I think that's such a good point because some of the trade stuff, I think, gets framed – Often rightly, there's certainly a kernel, more than a kernel of truth to this as sort of an expression of player empowerment because we see guys like Jalen Ramsey really wave their hands and say, I deserve a lot of money. I want to get paid. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do this. I want to do that. And sometimes get their way. But more and more, when you go to 30,000 feet with it, what we're seeing is the players who have the leverage who are at, you know, the top of the market for their positions and who would have the leverage to reset salary and to actually really push the ball forward. If they're asking for trades, what is actually happening is no one's hitting free agency. If they're switching teams and then getting extensions, what is actually happening is that the thing that, allows players to actually get the most money and to actually have the most choices is getting squeezed and eliminated. And you think back to, this was a little bit before my time, but I always hear that when the franchise tag was first being considered, 
it was a little, it was considered a little bit more player friendly than it's turned out to be because it's just turned into this, this tool that's completely effective for the teams and, and is really seems on the face of it. If we're not just used to it, it seems so unfair. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that dynamic at play with the trade stuff too, just because look, go get your bag, go switch teams, go use your leverage, however you want it. But if the ultimate end point is that fewer players are hitting free agency, that's not actually good for everybody. Yes. Like that's, and if you're the NFLPA who put out that letter with D Smith, that's your whole point is we get everyone to get paid more when guys actually get to the market and we get to find these things out. And it, it, I I don't know. It's, it it really is what makes the Lamar Jackson situation frustrating because man, it feels like we're so close to something that we almost never get. And now instead it feels like we're going to play this really awkward waiting game. Like at this point, do you think that Aaron Rodgers that does that get done well before Lamar Jackson at this point, the rate that we've gone with that? So I don't really get why it hasn't. I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. I have lost my bearing on what makes sense with the Rodgers thing. The piece that I can't figure out is why it feels like the Packers are the team with the leverage. The Jets should be the team with the leverage. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't switch teams, if Aaron Rodgers is on the Packers next year, they can't do anything that they want to do and they have to pay him $60 million. The Jets should say put up or shut up otherwise you're just gonna have to pay this guy and like rogers has the ability to threaten to play for the packers and that should actually be a big deal for them so i don't really i don't it's hard for me to understand the hold up there see that was always my thought though is if rogers did actually come back to play for the packers what's the worst case scenario that you're competitive to win the nfc north again because you've got a quarterback who on his best day is MVP caliber. I get it. it. It screws you over in the finding out about Jordan Love and taking that next step as a franchise type thing. But if that scenario plays out, the Jets are pivoting after basically letting Aaron Rodgers come in and design their house. Like he hasn't moved in yet and you've let him design <laughs> everything in the house and then he might break up with you before it even starts. And he's left you with with like weird boucle furniture that's way trendy <laughs> and then like Alan Lazard is just there and you're like yeah. I hate this <laughs> yeah I get that's a fair that's that's I guess maybe I'm overestimating the degree to which Green Bay wouldn't be okay with that my sense is that they have just they're so yeah. they've kind of burned the bridge and they are so committed to we just want to be done with this and we want to see what Jordan has to offer and we just want to move forward Plus, he's so expensive that if they that that should be a real thing that the Jets could hold over their head and say, like, look, we want to get this done and we don't really have a plan B either. But you also really want to get this done. Don't make us don't make us screw this up for you kind of thing. Um, Yeah, I think that's very fair. They're just in a holding pattern. Well, I think I saw, and I think there's a way where both of us are right, because if we're talking leading up to the draft, I think you're right that the Jets do have a little bit more to hold and say, hey, wouldn't you like to get some stuff to go ahead and put to work this season? But I think I saw Jeff Schwartz tweet this. That dynamic flips after the draft all of a sudden, because now as you go further towards the season, if you're the Jets in this holding pattern, 
it's going to become harder to go and find a secondary non-Zach Wilson option. And once that we get to that point, the Packers would have already said, yeah, we'll defer whatever draft capital we're going to get. We know having him as a post-June 1st uh, roster transaction would be financially beneficial for the Packers. And so if they're willing to wait that long, maybe that's how they end up changing the dynamic. But I agree. It, it's murky water we're in. There's no doubt about it. So Yeah. I just want people to start making threats. Please God. I, I, so my, my, my wish and the, the way that this would get the muddiest. And I said, combine all of what we've dealt with this off season is Aaron Rodgers would have to be in on this. But if you're the jets, you pick up the phone with the Packers and you tell them you're willing to start negotiating with Lamar Jackson, or you leak that out there that you're willing to actually go and sign an offer sheet for Lamar Jackson and introduce another option into the market that all of a sudden makes the Packers realize, Oh, this might get real if we don't get this done soon. Knowing full well if you're the Jets and you communicate that wrong, that's how we got here in the first place with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love in Green Bay. Yeah, but but it's true, right? Like to your to your question about what would they do, like what could the Jets do if this fell through? In theory, this is another reason why I don't understand why they're not just like going to eleven and making ultimatums. And maybe the answer to that is because they're smarter than me and I would be way too reckless as a general manager. But I, I kind of don't get why they're not going, hey, you really want to move on from this guy. We are your best option to do so. We are the place where he wants to go. He can threaten to to, to retire, not retire. He can, thre- like, he can screw with your cap. He can screw with your books in all these ways. By the way, if we don't pull this off, there's a 26-year-old former MVP who's just like hanging out. Looking for someone to talk to. I, listen, I, they may be smarter than us, but it doesn't mean that we can't have good ideas that might help them out in this situation. So, thank you, Joe Douglas Thank and you, company. Mike. Maybe you guys feel like calling us on this one. Either way, in the meantime, we will sit around and we will digest a healthy allotment of Mecole Hardman transactions and Elijah Moore trades, and we will be happy about it until we finally get to that point. But um, while we're waiting around for that point. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this book that you've got coming up here. So, Nora, everyone at this point, I think, especially people who listen to this podcast, would know you, as most of my group chats do, as the host of every (laughs) single album, Taylor Swift. You are the most popular person in sports media that I have, like, worked anywhere near because of that. So just know, you are the most oft-referenced person by my friends from outside the industry because of that podcast. That's important. That's like, that really hits me in the heartstrings. That's amazing. So the book title is Please Don't Stop the Music, Brittany, Taylor, Rihanna, and the Women Who Built Pop's Shiniest Decade. So how'd you get to this point? How did you go from interest to wanting to put pen to paper on this? Oh my gosh. Um, So it's actually, it's, it's as, as our dear Taylor would say, it has been a long time coming. Um, I, uh, had uh, I had someone reach out to me like several years ago about because I'd gone off about how much I love this stuff and love this music and love this era and love all of these stars um, during an appearance on a podcast and had someone reach out and say like oh this would be such a good book and I just started at the ringer and just sort of was like oh that's awesome but I, I can't do this right now this isn't really. And it just sort of percolated and, and 
it, it just became sort of the right time to try to do something. I'll be really, really honest, and maybe this is the wrong thing to say, but the reason that I'm doing this and the reason that I'm so excited about it, it is the subject matter. I love this music. It is what, you know, I listened to at high school dances. It's just like the fastest way to get me on a wedding dance floor. It's all of my playlists. It's just the best. Um, And spending time exploring those artists and those songs is just the most fun thing in the world to me. I was never like, I want to write a book someday. So that's going to be the new challenge of it. And that's super cool. But I think there was a while where it's sort of like, Oh, this could be a podcast. This could be whatever. I don't know if this makes sense, but it just kind of all came together. And, and um, I'm going to be working with some awesome, awesome editors and sort of have license to, call up a bunch of people who I'm huge fans of and try to talk to them and try to learn as much as I can and put it on the page. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It, it, It's a, I think that's the best reason to write a book is, Oh, I actually love this stuff enough to want to dive in that deep. I would like to read it. Like that, that's the thing is that I was not like, I really want to write a book, but I was sort of like, I would like to read a book about all of this. And there's not really one that exists. So going to work on that. What do you think about that period of music? Why was it so elevated? Why did it stand out, out so much? Why was this collection of women and what they represented so important to the music being made at the time? So there's really like, and this is one of the things that's the most fun to kind of explore with this is that like the history of modern popular music in America, which, which really sort of starts in the fifties ish in terms of it being a commercial product and something where there was an industry supporting it because that was when um, LPs started being a little bit easier to produce and, and sell and distribute it really has always been anchored by rock music um, and sort of the the language of rock, the sort of normative good things and bad things that, that we think of in the music industry often are sort of grounded in rock music culture. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the institution that we think of most if we think of like where we enshrine musicians. Um, Rolling Stone is like our most famous music publication, which was, which now does amazing coverage of pop music um, and all sorts of kinds of music, but that was a rock and roll magazine. So a lot of the grounding principles of how we listen to music, how we consume music, how we talk about it come from, from rock and roll. At a certain point in the development of the industry that, that became kind of outdated and in some ways, it actually happened well before the 2000s. Um, but that decade, I think, because of a combination of just how the industry had developed, I mean, you'd had decades like the 80s, which were huge for pop. But then you have all of the sort of 90s grunge, which ends up having backlash is a strong word, but a response that's very pop friendly, very pop forward, very sort of like, over-the-top glitter, Britney Spears, you get the boy bands, but then the growth into the more sort of like solo-driven pop that happened around the turn of the century, you get that, and then you get a ton, and this is super important, you get a ton of of hip-hop and Mm R&B. 
And I'm not writing about that. That's not my book. That should be somebody else's book. Um, it's not the focus because it was not, it's not what was sort of like making my heart explode as a, as a, a preteen and teen and, and growing up. But I think the the forces of those genres and just the creativity um, in those genres really did a lot to just re-anchor sort of how the music industry op- operates and not make it quite so rock centric. I think to actually answer the question that that you asked, the 2000s were a really tough decade for music business wise um, because you start at sort of the height of the CD era, but by the end you're at a point where artists making money because of streaming services hasn't really caught on yet and you're sort of at the the low point of oh my gosh we know this stuff is incredibly popular but we've absolutely no idea how to sell it for money mm. um so it was this really 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 tumultuous decade uh largely financially in the industry but also because you know it's peak tabloid it's the the that the culture of that era was very chaotic And my theory, at least, which is something that I'm exploring a lot, is that when you look at pop stars, largely women, which is what I'm doing, um, but then also, as I said, uh, there were a lot of rappers, a lot of uh, people in the hip hop world who were doing this at the same time. You're talking about outsiders. And when the you know what hits the fan and when the status quo is not working for people anymore the people who have traditionally been outside of that are the ones who tend to be the most nimble and the most creative and the most adaptable to, to changing circumstances. Um, Which is not always pretty, right? Like I think one example of it is that if you're really good in tabloids, like a Lindsay Lohan, you can have a music career. And while I'm very (laughs) grateful for rumors, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that wasn't a sort of (laughs) messy process. So that is my like if I if I had to give you a thesis, I think that's what it boils down to is there was a lot of change of foot. And the cool thing to me is that it helped include a lot of people who had been excluded from the center of the industry in the past. It's an incredible premise. It's obviously music that for, you know, people my age, people your age, all was such a big part of our formative years. So I cannot wait to smash pre-order on this as you get down the road. It's very exciting to hear this coming to fruition. And it, it, it you mentioned, listen, Taylor is one of the people that you're going to be talking about in this. And when you talk about changes in the industry, the business of music and someone who's navigated those waters, it really is sort of this perfect segue to where we're at now in the concert that I am getting set to go see this weekend. So I am going to see Taylor Swift for the first time in Vegas Yes. I, I first off, yeah, just a lot of screaming and yelling in my car on the drive out to Scottsdale from LA, where I listened almost exclusively to Taylor Swift the entire time. It was incredible. But I guess Nora, first off, you and uh, Nathan, who if anyone hasn't checked out every single album, you guys have podcasted about the first weekend of Taylor Swift shows and your takeaways. Can you give people a sense of just how big this tour? is set up to be as far as its impact on the music industry or financially what this tour is going to do. 
I mean, I guess we will have to see. I think it it has a shot at being one of a very small handful, if not the biggest tour ever. Uh, some of that, I guess, hinges on... We still don't have international dates for this thing. Um, so what she ends up doing in totality probably changes as as a reflection of whatever happens there. Generally speaking, though, it's it's it will certainly be one of a very small group of the most massive entertainment spectacles that have ever toured this this country. Um, she already is the most uh, the first concert in Arizona was the largest largest show done by a solo female artist in history. Um, the tours of we gold and, and quite a few records have already been set. Uh, and the show is unbelievably long. Like when I talk about uh, tour size and, and setting records, usually you're talking about sort of like ticket sales and number of people who go and see a show. I think more importantly for you, for me, eventually for Nathan, for anyone who's going to get to see this thing, our girl is delivering. She's delivering for three hours and 15 minutes. Um, my co-host Nathan posted something about this the other day. And I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the numbers, but most tours, her tours in the past are around 25, 23, 24, 25 songs by the headliner. Uh, I believe like 23 is the average for Springsteen. I think that was in Nathan's post. Springsteen notorious for doing long shows. Um, I've got the I've got the post here if you want it. You've it got the tweet? Yes, you've got the tweet. Give me the tweet. Springsteen's average set list was 23 songs. Prince's average set list was 24 songs. And Beyonce's average set list has been 33 songs. Taylor Swift did 44 her songs. Average 33 that or was that, was, is that Beyonce at Coachella? All it said was Beyonce 33. So I assumed that he was paraphrasing after saying average in the last two. No, but I think Nathan's could just be being a Coachella. messy tweeter. I think that was, <laughs> I think that was Beyonce at Coachella, which is a notoriously long set. Taylor's at 44. This is out of control. And, and just for, again, for scope, how many of these are full stadium shows and she is doing what? 50 plus. It's like 53, I think. So 53 shows at this point that at least right now, the tempo has been set of 44 songs and three plus hours of Taylor Swift on stage, giving it to the crowd. I'm sure you saw um, JJ Watt, who saw the show in Arizona, was flabbergasted at just like how much she was doing and for how long. Uh, I was reminded my my coworker Kevin Clark uh, a long time ago did this piece about how there's only 11 minutes of action in an NFL game. 44 songs, man! It's a lot of songs, ah! and she's going for it. She's got a chair routine. <laughs> She's like running up and down. They shoot her across the stadium on a sled. Like it, it is athletic. It is acrobatic. She dives into her own stage. My sister and I were just talking about how legitimately concerned for her safety we are. As if people haven't seen it, she literally dives into the stage as if it were a swimming pool and disappears underneath it. 
And we have no idea what's under there. That's the thing that's like keeping me up at night is just, I, my best guess is like a whole thing of foam blocks. Yep. That's what I would like it to be. Cause that seems the softest and the most like comfortable. Cause I just really don't, I mean, I'm worried about her voice, but I'm also worried about like a separated shoulder situation. Um, but it's gotta be something like she's really going for it. She gives up her body in that dive. Like she's just going splat under the stage. And I just want to know that she's okay. That's what we all want to know because it is a long tour and between the vocal toll, between the physical toll, we want to see her be able to get through all of this and to be able to deliver to all of these people that have been waiting very long and to get to do this for herself because it's been a long time. She didn't get to tour in 2019 coming off the release of Lover the way she wanted to. So all of these things have added up to this moment. Now, Nora, I'm asking you as a, a veteran of this, for people like me, for other fans who this is going to be their first time ever seeing Taylor Swift in this kind of setting, what do I need to do to be ready? What should I expect going and being a part of this like immersive Taylor Swift experience? Well, so part of that, I think, depends on how you like your concert going experience to be. So when I go to a show, I like to know the set list. Mm. I like to listen to the songs that are on the set list the day of. That's very fun for me. If I don't already know every word, I kind of want to learn every word. I know some people don't want to know what's on the set list, want to be totally surprised. They're not necessarily interested in singing along. They just want to like be there and take it in. So I don't think that changes, right? Like if one of those is your predisposition, stick to it. Beyond that, I, it really, like the most pertinent conversation is a logistical one. Are you going to need a bathroom break? It's three hours and 50 minutes long. Do you have to choose a song where you're like, all right, I don't have to hear The Archer. So the archer is going to be where I go to the bathroom <laughs> and I come back. Or are you going to make some other arrangement? Or are you just going to like drink water judiciously? Because otherwise, it's just a long show, man. Like, it's just so awesome. She's just, she works. She always delivers. Um, so I think that's, you know, making sure you're hydrated, making sure you've got comfortable shoes. To me, that is the most important part of preparing. I think you'll know most of the songs, but like, just got to have a game plan. You know what? And the, to be fair, those are all things that I had not thought of or considered yet, especially on the bathroom front. And so this is pertinent information. We are we are training for a marathon here, people. And so you've got to approach that accordingly because I don't want to end up peeing my pants near the stage at Taylor Swift. That's not where I want to be. If by some chance she looks over my direction, I don't want that to be what she sees on stage. <laughs> Terrible. Can you imagine? Uh, unfortunately, because it's me, yes. <laughs> no. I, you're uh, going to be amazing. Do you have an outfit? 
I've got an outfit planned, unfortunately, and I've seen the I've my TikTok has been inundated with Taylor Swift fans who have been planning their outfits out for years. They've got group outfits. They've got themes with a lot of the inside jokes that I've really thanks to your guys podcast. Thanks to other friends of mine that have made sure I'm up to date on a lot of the different concert inside jokes and things. My outfit doesn't incorporate any of those, but it just ensures that I don't look like a total idiot, which is good. I love that. I love that for you. I think I'm looking great. at the set list right now. I think if I really needed to, I could probably, I think I would go. The problem is the Archer is the sixth song. Oh yeah. Oh no. That's, For me yeah, and like can't. no, no, no slander. So many fans absolutely love that song. It's not my favorite Taylor Swift song. That's in, that's, that's in theory when I would be like, all right, I'm going to run to the bathroom. I don't think that's right though, because it's just, it just comes so soon. Yeah. You don't want to break the seal that early. You're just setting yourself up and now you're going to be in the middle of the 10 minute all too well, looking for the exit, knowing full well, you can't leave. I know this is going to be probably really controversial. Um, I don't even, people are going to be so, I think I'd probably, you know what? Invisible string is the 24th song. I think I'm, that's when I would dip out. Ooh, yeah. But I also bet a lot of people will do that actually because it's right after 10 minute all too well. I feel like that's going to be a crime and necessity more so than an indictment of the song because I actually love that song and I'm fascinated to see. I love that song too. I love, I love, I just, they're all so good. You're going to have such a good time. I'm so jealous. All right. Bye. All right, Brandon, important housekeeping here is our Some Shining Moments bracket continues to move along. For anyone new to the scene, we ranked 32 of the top moments from last year, March to March, one through 32 in four different regions. They were moments from sports, pop culture, music, movies, the internet, you name it. We tried to categorize it, rank it, and then get them to compete for the biggest moment of the last count or the last year, not calendar year. Uh, we are now in the Sweet 16 round. We started off with 32 teams. We have whittled our way down to the Sweet 16. So we are going to do one half of the Sweet 16, four matchups, Eight moments competing that you guys are going to vote on today when this podcast comes out. They're going to be attached to the podcast the way they always are. Brandon, we are going to go with two regions that were near the beginning of the voting. First up, we're going to go with the North region. That was the sports region where we had tons of upsets going off here. The Sweet 16 matchup is going to feature the eight seed. Aaron Judge's home run race that upset one seed Tom Brady retirement going up against the three seed, the Kelsey brothers, and their run towards the Super Bowl matchup that defined a lot of the season. Uh, that one on the other side then, in the Wait, north what's, side. What's the, what's the Kelsey seed? Three. Three. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, and the other part of that bracket, we have got the four seed, Kylian Mbappe and, um, and um, Lionel Messi World Cup final. The four seed going up against the seven seed, fresh off an upset. Seven seed Brock Purdy and his stellar twenty twenty two season. So Never forget that. Yeah, upsetting the number two seed LeBron James, passing Kareem Abdul Jabbar. So I, I, I have a feeling that we are going to get a final four, or uh, excuse me, an an elite eight that it uh, would be the Kelsey brothers going up against the World Cup final. I'm predicting the three four matchup. Okay, you're bold enough to after all we've seen. In this bracket, in the some shining moments, these shining moments, you're willing to predict 
an outcome. I think that's very bold of you. I am I am a brave man. Uh, not brave enough maybe to attack the music region. Let's go there next. Another area where we saw the upsets reign. We have in the music region, going up in, uh, in the Sweet 16, the 8th seed, Wednesday Adams, Viral Dance. Go, that upset number one seed, Taylor Swift. Going mm. up against the three seed, Rihanna Super Bowl halftime show. Um, this is a big-time matchup, Brandon. Really not sure what to do with this. The Wednesday Adam one caught me by surprise. I was not aware yes. of its internet power. Um, the it's other side happen. of this bracket, in its own way, also going to be very tough. We've got Viral versus Hart. We have the four seed, Oliver <laughs> Shane Hawkins, playing the tribute to his father um, with the rest of the Foo Fighters. There goes my hero in a tribute concert. Moving, touching moment, going up against the seven seed, Corn Kid, that took down the two seed Beyonce. Corn mm. Kid, huge viral trend. Uh, not really sure which way that one's going to go, Brandon. Um, if I had to call it, I'd probably say Rihanna and the Oliver Shane Hawkins. But again, what do I know? Just a doctor. Hey, uh, all I know is we're... we're- Two sides of the bracket, two regions in. We got an eight and a three versus a four and a seven. I know. It's it's wild. We'll get to the other half of this uh, for Friday's voting. That'll be more of the chalk from those two regions. At Gojo Show on Twitter is where you're going to be able to find all that and vote on all of that. But at Gojo Show here is where we get to ask the question. Brandon, oh, shit. do you know what time it is? Mike, you know I'll be getting in my groove with the other stuff. I can never tell if that oh shit is at this point a rehearsed part of the bit or if I'm genuinely still shocking you. It's it's 100% me, baby. It's uh, Shaka Khan's birthday, so don't know something out there. You ain't got no kind of Feelings inside. What I got will knock your pride aside. Sister in the third. Tell me that you love me, yeah. Is that in the third? Is that in the third? Tell me that you like it, yeah. I haven't figured out an unawkward way for me to be a part of this. Like, because there's a little bit of a delay between us, every time I start doing white man head nods or clapping, I always appear on the YouTube Uh. copy of this to be offbeat, which I generally am for the most part anyway, but one day we're going to get there. Today's just not that day. Mike, I think you uh, have some solace in the fact that it's a solely podcast experience for a lot of people uh, because we don't want to fight with the YouTube people. I usually just completely lift this, that, and the third from the YouTube copy, cut it out completely. Yesterday, Charlotte was bragging about her skills, so I, I did a little something different. I dropped the audio completely and acapelloed that thing, which I don't recommend ever doing again, but I appreciate you staying with me just to get to this, that, and the third. Brandon, we appreciate the effort there. If everyone else does too, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. 
the only place you can hear this on the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon what a phenomenal job he's done there, even knowing full well that I'm in the background white man head nodding. Um, Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third and finish this thing off right. Big news for us in South Bend. Notre Dame with a monster hire for the men's basketball coach. Uh, As we know, Mike Bray finishes up a multi-decade tenure in South Bend. Um, There were, I think, rumors last week uh, of him interviewing for the South Florida job. It sounds like he is going to take some time, focus on television, not going to go that route at this point. And we wish Mike Bray well. He's a hero around these parts. We've talked plenty of great about him. But I really wasn't sure where they were going to go. They announced on uh, Wednesday that they're hiring Penn State's Micah Shrewsbury to be the school's next head coach. It's a seven-year contract, sources told ESPN. And apparently he turned down a long-term extension from Penn State, sources said in this. Now, he's an Indiana guy. This is a bit of a homecoming for him. So I think that that factored into it. Someone here, uh, as far as his college days, he went to uh, Hanover which is I found out was the oldest private uh, college institution in Indiana. So the more you know. But went to Hanover, got his first uh, head coaching job at the college level at Indiana University of South Bend, IUSB. So he is familiar with the area already. He's a hometown guy, apparently. Well, I mean, if you're in Indiana. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to have something to be excited about. Does that make sense? Well, I, I just this was really an area where I had no idea what was going to come next for Notre Dame. And yeah. I saw former Notre Dame basketball star Jordan Cornette actually tweet out yesterday, uh, and I'm going to pull the tweet up right now, that apparently he sat down with Jack Swarbrick. Yeah, so uh, Jordan Cornette tweeted this. When I met with Jack Swarbrick a month ago, he was clear with of whom his number one candidate was. It was Micah Shrewsbury. Credit to Swarbrick, he got his top target about as smooth as a coaching search can go. Proud to be part of the ND men's basketball family. This wow. is a guy who just took t- Penn State to their first NCAA tournament since 2011. They won uh, a game in the first round. Uh, they upset seven seed Texas A&M before getting bounced by Texas. So, guy who's done a lot recently, young, I believe only 46 years years old came up under Brad Stevens coach with him a Butler before coaching with him again with the Boston Celtics before heading over to Penn State so for South Bend where we know it's a football school women's basketball has been the much more successful program traditionally in South Bend when it comes to hoops this is something that I think people can really get excited about around there and a big time statement by Jack Swarbrick and company for when they went out there and how hard they swung on this always helps when homecoming is part of the equation we see that effect all over the place in college sports but ain't nothing wrong when it happens to you man love it absolutely love it mike uh the other two other famous people from hanover college outside of mike shrewsbury are mike pence and woody harrelson brandon let's get to that uh again congratulations uh to mike shrewsbury looking forward to this i hope you like taking your shirt off in maui because the standard is the standard around notre dame and mike bray has set a pretty strong tone i'm just saying at this point, we've become hey, known for that. I know, but he looks like he may be a, a pool in the a shirt in the pool guy. So I gotta respect that. Wow. That okay. And you know what? We love that guy around yeah, here. We, do. we, we do. love we do. that guy. We were that uh, guy. <laughs> my God. We're gonna, I'm gonna keep repressing those memories and get to that and talk about someone who takes his shirt off probably a lot. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who did end up signing his three-year deal with the Las Vegas Raiders and received a very warm exception. Jimmy Garoppolo. 
apparently offered free sex for life from Las Vegas brothel workers. Um, sources told TMZ Sports that a Nevada brothel led by Caitlin Bell and Alice Little at the famous Chicken Ranch brothel said that Jimmy Garoppolo would be offered a free sex for life package if he chose coming to Las Vegas. They said, quote, he deserves free sex just for joining our team, but he gets free sex for life from us because he's such a legit babe. Uh, so next year's Super Bowl also taking place at Allegiant Stadium just seems like further incentive to try and get this deal done. Mike, I did not know how deep the NIL deals went over there in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know how I can talk about this without telling on myself, but HBO and the Bunny Ranch. Um, <laughs> Listen, I'll I don't know how I can talk about this without getting myself in trouble. Immediately just says the quiet part loud. Listen, it's just... It seems like a no-brainer, uh, especially after that date that he uh, had a long time ago that everyone keeps referring back to. Uh, it hey, it is wild G. how much that one date... Jimmy Garoppolo, for being a guy that's always been looked at as one of the most handsome quarterbacks in the league, has never really been a guy whose personal life we've known a lot about outside of that one instance. The guy went on one date with an adult film actress, and since then, Stephen A. Smith has been branding him porn star Jimmy. Like, that one moment for a guy who has largely kept his personal life out of the streets, it's been remarkable. I mean, he took her to, like, a, a Panera Ruth's Chris. Like you get, It wasn't a Panera Ruth's Chris. There's fine stemware on the tables in this picture. That's why I can I can I combine the two, Mike. I'm just saying the fact that he, no, I I can't. I'm not gonna shame any. Like it's just it's just seemed like a interesting move. And since we haven't seen that move repeated, it was a mistake on his part. That was also, I think, when Jimmy was in the transition from backup to starter. Yes, and didn't absolutely. realize how yes. things were going to be covered from there on out. So chalk it up to a learning moment here, but now a reputation that apparently also landed him not one but two offers from this uh, from the desert uh, rant the. Resort at Sherry's Ranch also made a similar offer to uh, bring him and his teammates out for the VIP experience. So we are getting, in many ways, the exact experience we thought we would get for a team in Las Vegas. So uh, I just I need Derek Carr to sign somewhere so I can hear his opinion on this. Oh, Derek Carr signed with the Saints. We're gonna get. I mean, I don't know if oh, anyone's yeah, gonna damn. ask him about oh that in New Orleans, but oh my gosh, oh my gosh, okay. Didn't even remember that. Yeah, I just feel like he, I just feel like his his wife and kids are just all like shaking their head, just naughty oh, naughty. I, I I would imagine Derek Carr is incredibly disappointed in Jimmy Garoppolo. Like in some world, if the Saints were to play the Raiders in next year's Super Bowl, or if they were to see each other at the Pro Bowl or just out to dinner somewhere, I feel like Derek Carr would pull Jimmy aside and like, is this really who you want to be? <laughs> like like me, I I, I left you with time. my. F I left you with my franchise, and this is how you want to act? Hey, I got a couple scriptures I can send Derek Carr to send Jimmy. So, I wonder if Derek Carr is quietly kind of like, oh, man, really? Like, I wasn't good yeah, enough Yeah, like, he's offer? like, I can't believe that. Didn't. He's, like, he's like, you know what it was? I started the – why am I trying to give Derek Carr a bad, a bad, that accent? He started in Oakland, right? Maybe if he, he started in, in well, Las Vegas, maybe those opportunities would be available for him. 
If you're Derek Carr, I think you can take solace in the fact that you have so branded yourself as someone who is a man of faith very publicly that they would have never even come to you with this offer. It has nothing to do with the fact that Jimmy is just markedly better looking. Uh, Brandon, (laughs) Brandon, let's get to the third. This is maybe the most exciting news I have seen in I don't know how long. Per post from front office sports going back to this weekend, or going back to, excuse me, uh, March 21st, so just the other day. After more than 20 years, Slam Ball is officially returning in July with a six-week regular season and a one-week playoff, again, in Las Vegas. Brandon, for anyone that wasn't around for the intro of Slam Ball, trampoline basketball was so much a sign of the times back when it first came out. And now we are, I think, perfectly. We're at the golden age of reboots, right? Every movie is being remade. We just talked about Good Burger after a 27-year hiatus is getting a redo here. Legends of the Hidden Temple, we found out, has been running on Hulu, even though we don't really know about it because it's also part of the CW, and we know how hard it is to get people to watch things. You've seen (laughs) the live golf ratings. Um, But the original Slam Ball came out back in 1999. The scoring system was two points if the ball is thrown through the hoop without an offensive player touching it, three points for slam dunks and three points for shots from beyond the three-point arc all while you're trying to bounce around the various small trampolines that i think ended up also spawning that industry of trampoline parks that people go to with their kids oh mike it was so early though that obviously i feel like maybe we can never take it out of our heads but the fact that there are basketball hoops at these sky zone parks then there's definitely a through line there i will say this i love to hear it I was a lot more excited about it before I turned 30 because the way my back hurts when I just run a little bit, like I think about those poor people jumping around slamming. I was like, they have to be in so much pain. And also, before I give the mic back to you, shout out to season eight, episode 16 of the King of Queens. Episodes called Knee Jerk, where Doug signs up for a gym and they have a slam ball park and he gets concussed and messes his knee up and ends up bossing carry around all day uh when he wasn't supposed to be there in the first place it was a great episode but uh slam I mean, ball it, 2006 is when the episode came out so if you can if you can date uh carbon date the height of slam ball right around that time in his defense, he told us in the show open his eyes were getting weary and his back was getting tired he should never have been anywhere near that. But (laughs) that's my number one thing I'm worried about because I want to throw this out there and I don't feel like I'm betraying a trust when I was DMing Dallas Braden the other day saying we need to be the voices of Slam Ball. We need to be out there in the trenches showing people and bringing this great sport to the masses. I think it would be perfect for it. I want to be a part of that, Brandon, but also being a part of it means I'm probably going to have to reconcile the fact that I'm going to see somebody suffer a compound fracture because it is so dangerous. It's full contact with multiple trampoline parts to this. I don't see how we get out of that experience without seeing a horrific injury. Yeah, Mike, and I hate to piggyback you again, but I would love to do some sideline trampoline reporting uh, oh. for, for slam ball, just like me bouncing around, uh, having interviews with the coaches or players after a big game. I'd probably be wearing a helmet and all, maybe shoulder pads. I'd probably be in full gear in cricket attire, like all the all the gear that's available. Put it on me, and I'll go and ask some questions and uh, slam ball. 
We need, you know what we need to do? Uh, Slam ball inventor Mason Gordon is at the helm for this again. We need to get him on the show and ask some questions here. Because he said they've gotten opportunities over the years. He said, quote, pretty much every couple of months, there will be an opportunity to bring Slam ball back in some form. And my partners of I have always looked at it and said, we're not going to come back until the market conditions are like really optimal. And the alternate sports market is just on fire. And there's a mm. reason for that. Said younger audiences are really looking out there for us. Like what sport can I call my own? So he thinks he can bring this sport to the kids. Like this isn't just a nostalgia trip for us. He thinks young people are ready for this on God's internet. So we need to get him on here and explore this fully. Absolutely, Mike. But can you believe that trampolines survived TikTok? Honestly, it's a, I'm amazed we don't see more trampoline stuff on TikTok. Interesting. I, I was just thinking about like like trampolines were like like you knew every house in the neighborhood with a trampoline. Like I used to go over a friend's house who had a tramp whose neighbors had a trampoline. Like not even next door neighbors. Like you just you would seek and destroy trampolines at all times. And 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 then the internet happened and cell phones and all these type of things. And then still a love for a trampoline. Just just getting a nice bounce. Bro, we had a trampoline in my house growing up, and we also had one of those playscapes right next to it. We used to climb on the roof of that shit and jump off onto the trampoline. One of my buddies in the neighborhood, for some reason, we decided to put our trampoline over, it was when we were living in Arizona, on top of a bed of small stones. So if you fell off, you were hitting a bunch of rocks. Didn't make a lot of sense, but I vividly remember to this day, one of my buddies jumped off the top of this, uh, the playscape next to it, bounced off the trampoline, landed on all fours on the rocks, and barfed up lasagna <laughs> in the podcast Mike if you enjoy the return of slam ball as we do and believe that we should be the voices of it make sure you tweet your local congressman make sure you download subscribe rate review Gojo leave us a five star rating and a review and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo of Mike Golo Jr. tab thanks so much we'll talk to you tomorrow he threw up as soon as he landed bro it was it just it folded over on top of itself, like lasagna. I can see it in my mind still to this day. Boom, money in the bank.